Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We're on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And the title of this episode of the Covenant Podcast is You Must Be Heard. We're going to be talking about vocalization with our good friend, Jonathan Goodwin. We're very happy to have him on the Covenant Podcast. So welcome to the show, brother. Hey there, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's our privilege to get to chat with you. And uh, it's our normal practice, if someone is a first-time interviewee, that we ask them to uh, introduce themselves to our audience. So that is you. You fit that description, brother. Would you be willing to uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself as you uh, come on our show for the first time? Yeah, of course. Uh, My name is Jonathan Goodwin. I'm a member here of Grace Reformed Baptist Church, and I've been a member since the church was pretty pretty much first formed is pretty pretty on the heels of that i'm just recently married by the grace of god last year and i currently work as a banker um, for old national bank now in relation to the topic at hand today i have taken i've a couple different classes related to uh, vocal development but more specifically i've been studying uh, singing, and the voice for close to five years now. I originally studied studied with Professor Dennis Jewett at Kentucky Wesleyan College, and have since then been taught by a professional opera singer by the name of Charlie Collada. Well, Jonathan, we have uh, much in common, it seems, uh, outside of the realm of voice amplification and how to use uh, our voices effectively, because this is definitely a subject that I do not have much familiarity with, but I was a fellow banker uh, for Wells Fargo oh. before transitioning into vocational ministry about three years ago now. So uh, it's funny how the Lord uses uh, just different vocations to to help uh, young men support themselves and their families before going into full-time ministry. I think even uh, Dr. Steve Lawson was a banker for a season before going into uh, either seminary or vocational ministry. But in any case, glad to have you on the show today, brother. Uh, as, as Austin mentioned, the title of this episode is You Must Be Heard. And in this conversation, we're going to be discussing how uh, preachers and, and ministers can use their voices effectively uh, it, for the edification of the local church, as well as another ministry context that the Lord might lead them into. Uh, so just to begin, maybe just to help define some terms and lay the groundwork for where we'll go for the rest of today's conversation, would you be willing to define what we mean when we speak of voice? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I really like Oxford's definition. Uh, Oxford's definition says that a voice is the sound produced in a person's larynx and uttered through the mouth as speech and song. I really like this definition because that's pretty generally how the voice works. To be a little bit more specific, the air that you have in your lungs passes through the larynx And it hits these two little things called vocal folds. So they vibrate. And the resulting sound is then passed through inside your head. And the sound bounces around and creates the sounds that you hear. So that's why we have plenty of unique voices all all around us is because everybody's head is a little bit different. Everybody's throat size is a little bit different. So that's kind of the uniqueness of everybody's individual voices. Depending on the configuration, you know that 
that's Austin McCormick, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's essentially what a voice is. Now, if that's a little bit confusing, I mean, if you don't know what resonators are or vocal folds or whatever that is, imagine you take like a, ju a brown jug. You've seen those jug bands. If Imagine the voice, like if you blow air on top of the jug, you're going to hear sound, right? Well, okay, well, take away the jug and just blow air. Not, not much is going to happen. You just Maybe you hear a little bit of a buzzing sound, but that's all you're going to hear. Okay, now bring back the jug and don't do anything. Makes for a poor jug band. <laughs> There's just no sound. But as soon as you put them together, the air and the shape, then you get the resulting sound and the voice. Hmm. It's really interesting and really helpful to begin to consider our uh, topic of discussion. Um, and we begin to consider what voice is. But now we want to ask you uh, for our next question more specifically. What is the theological significance of a preacher appropriately and effectively using his voice to accomplish their God-given responsibilities? Yes. So this is, um, it's a little bit of a harder topic because the theological significance in using our voice is a little bit more complex for using our voice. What we have to consider first and foremost is the voice the most important thing going on when you're speaking or preaching the word of God? I mean, I hope you, I hope you say no. Um, Albert Martin has a really phenomenal series on vocal powers related to preaching. He has a whole, um, whole list of sermon, uh, not quite sermon audio, it's a, it's a different audio collection, but he talks about a bunch of different aspects of preaching, including about how we use our voice. And in relation to preaching the word, the voice is of secondary importance when preaching the word of God. It is much more important that we are accurate with the message more than how loudly or eloquently we can say it. So when considering the theological significance of the voice, it is of secondary importance to the message being spoken. And this is not really a new thing either when talking about the voice in preaching. While it is of secondary importance to the word being spoken, it is of primary importance when preaching. Because how, how do you preach? How do you speak the gospel to other people? Using your voice. So relative to the act of preaching, as Albert Martin would say, it is a primary importance, the voice is. Charles Spurgeon, Albert Martin, and many others from ancient times all talk about uh, public speaking and how the voice, other than whatever your message is, is the most important thing going on. So, apologies there, it went there. Um, when we think about it theologically now going, going off of that into, you know, biblical grounds, we have a lot of examples in the Bible about prophets, priests, commanders, Christ himself that cry out with a loud voice. It doesn't just say that, oh, they talked with these people. They all gathered in a little room and they talked to one another. No, literally crying out, hearkening, sometimes in some translations, 
they're using their voice quite effectively to reach many people, large crowds, thousands even. At one point, it says in one of the Gospels, Christ himself got in a boat and pushed out a little bit from the shore just so everybody could see and hear him. And when you take into account the acoustics, like there wasn't a whole lot of room to bounce sound off of. He had to be quite loud and know how to really use his voice to be heard by all of those people. So we can definitely look at those people and take note for individual ministries or for street preaching is that this is a very physically demanding activity in order to be heard and understood for that matter. Um, if we want to point to specific scriptures that I have today, Romans 10, uh, 14 through 17 is familiar to many. Do, do one of you mind reading that for us? Uh, I could get my Bible and flip to it in just a moment here. Romans 10, 14 through 17. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how are the unbeliever and the un the believer alike supposed to receive the word by hearing if they can't hear you it doesn't matter how hard i preach in the street or say if, if i was a pastor in the sanctuary if nobody can hear me and then the word is not heard i don't edify the saints and it was for almost nothing that we came together other than worshiping the Lord. Now, hopefully that the Lord still blesses our time together and still uses it for great effect. He can still overcome the weakness of men, obviously, but that doesn't negate our responsibility to be heard. And now for our second passage understood, uh, first Corinthians 14, six through 12, if you don't mind, please. 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. Yes. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker of a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So I hope you can already start to think about how that would imply. I know that the context is a little bit more about speaking in tongues, 
but he still generalizes it. How are you to spread the gospel if you can't be heard or understood? And you think about the stakes in the war camp. If the bugle sounds, but you can't understand the notes that are being played, you don't know whether that means it's dinner time or there's a meeting or, oh, great, now we're being attacked. Everybody get out of get out of your tents, get in formation. That's a pretty high stake if you don't understand what the bugle is saying. So too, it's like for the sinner on the street. If they don't understand what's being said, it's like that bugle that's going off. They don't know the danger that they're in. So it's really important, theologically significant, that wherever you are, you need to preach the word, most importantly, accurately, but you also need to be heard and understood. So through the examples that we see in the Bible and through a couple of these passages making general application um, to ourselves or to others, anybody who's pursuing the ministry or even who's uh, trying to spread the gospel through street preaching or, or to others, you must be heard and understood. But we don't just get theological warrants from it. We also get create, uh, created nature or a warrant from our created nature, if that makes sense. The way that God has made us, has made the world, has made our voices. This also commands a sufficient mastery of the voice. I'll refer to Albert Martin again. And even Charles Spurgeon has a great book, uh, Lectures to My Students, if either of you have heard it. He goes over a good block, a couple of pages at least, about how to use your voice. But both of them, they take really great pains to describe how even a mediocre sermon, just run-of-the-mill, say it's an evangelical sermon, <laughs> But if it's delivered by a fantastic speaker, it's going to have more effect on the audience generally than a, a better written sermon delivered by a weak, monotone, or a tame voice. A mediocre, as Albert Martin would say in his thing, a mediocre sermon delivered by a fantastic speaker um, will deliver a better a sermon than one with a weaker voice. It, if that doesn't exactly make sense, it's like, oh, you need more scripture to back that up. Well, just imagine this scenario. Say if God gave you or me great power to write an amazing sermon, probably the best, say it's the best sermon in the past 10 years by God's grace, with so much soul affecting truth, I would be ecstatic, you would be ecstatic to preach that sermon. So you get ready. You have all your notes, you go to the service, and you're getting ready to speak. You plant both your feet on the stage, and you say this. Please turn to Romans 5, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace. Don't tell me that you would enjoy listening to that. No one would. And those words, no matter how good they are, are going to be absolutely lost on the hearer. You are making vocal obstacles to their ears. I'm not saying that God cannot overcome our weaknesses because he overcomes man's weakness and uses his Holy Spirit. But he also works through means. And if 
you go up there, you know, it doesn't matter how well written your sermon is, but you deliver it in a very weak, monotone, or tame way without much authority or power behind it, it's going to be lost on the hearer. They're not going to understand the conviction, the emotion, the raw truth of the matter as well as if someone else got on stage and spoke those same words with sweeping motions, with increasing volume, but also a settled approach to really engage the listener. And Jonathan, that's exceptionally stated. I love how you made that crucial distinction between our primary focus as pastors and as preachers of God's word to accurately divide the word of truth, but also the fact that God uses means that we often, uh, and I would even say always, overcomes our weakness as sinners uh, and as those who are limited and finite in our knowledge and understanding of God's word by the power of his Holy Spirit. He overcomes our weaknesses. He overcomes our sin. And by his grace, he uses means to accomplish the ultimate end of glorifying himself through accurately dividing the word as well as edifying the saints as we do so as, as preachers of God's word. So I really appreciated how you teased that out. and. Um, I also enjoyed hearing you reference uh, Albert Martin and Charles Spurgeon, and you even alluded to others throughout church history that um, have spoken to the importance of using one's voice effectively in the act of preaching and teaching God's word. Um, you you um, even went so far as to say that um, I believe, or excuse me, you reference other ancient individuals, so not just Charles Spurgeon, not just Albert Martin, but you reference ancient individuals that um, would not be referenced in Scripture, but would also be found in church history. So would you be willing to maybe tease out some more of those ministers that you had in mind that used their voice effectively? Um, you know, for me personally, Spurgeon would have been at the top of my list, but uh, I have a few other guesses as to who else you might say, maybe Ambrose or uh George Whitfield or somebody of that nature. So oh, I'd love to perfect. love to hear your thoughts on on some of these individuals. Yeah, so I, I would still refer to some in even biblical times. I mean, Jesus, obviously. Moses, uh, he had to address the whole nation of Israel at quite a few times. I mean, mm. Paul in all of his addresses in the book of Acts that we can find. Um, even Elijah during his ministry. Ezra, whenever the... Jewish exiles returned, um, or at least a, a fair bit of them, David while he was king, Peter, etc. There's so many examples in the Bible of great speakers and even being put to the test, so to speak, in front of large crowds and them under understanding. So far as post, uh, struggle with the word there, post-canon times or post-biblical times. I mean, we're, we're still, still in everything, but um, I would say uh, Jane Thornwell is a really good example. Samuel Davies, Gilbert Tennant, George Whitfield was one of my the people, and Charles Spurgeon. And when, when you look at all these people, what do they all have in common? Large crowds, no mics. Large crowds and no mics. Now, it doesn't have to be a large crowd for you to be, I mean, for you to be considered like a great speaker. I mean, just because you haven't been tested in front of a thousand people doesn't mean that you can't be a really good speaker or could do it. Um, but in those examples, 
large crowds, no mics. They could be heard and understood. They had a sufficient mastery of the voice to speak to the multitudes, to be heard by them. I spoke about uh, the example with Christ on the boat, for instance. But when you think about even George Whitfield uh, going throughout the United States, preaching on top of a tree stump to all those gathered around. I mean, to my knowledge, when considering, okay, are these are probably better places to speak. These are not. One of the things we have to consider when speaking is the space that we're speaking in. Speaking outside without some sort of wall or overarching wall to bounce the sound off of is hard. It's really hard. So the fact that they could get up there and, you know, the terrain helps, it can help, but still speak to all of those people and be heard is really impressive. God has really gifted a lot of those men with that ability. And I think even today, that's not completely lost and can be recovered in some in some ways. Not every speaker, though, is going to be exactly the same, but I'll, I'll probably get a little ahead of myself there, and that'll be in one of our next questions, I think. Oh, very good. Thank you for uh, some of those examples. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, I there's a story of Spurgeon and uh, he's examining men for the pastor's college and takes a tape measure out to measure the width of their chest <laughs> to see whether or not they would be able to boom their voices well enough to uh -huh. uh, be a, a preacher or not. That could be a fable, though. I've heard many stories that are attributed to Spurgeon that aren't true. So I don't remember where I heard that. Do you mind if I speak on that for a second? Actually? Yeah, go ahead. Um, while I understand Spurgeon's intent in that instance, whoever is listening or anything, if you really, really admire Spurgeon and really take a lot of what he says uh, pretty ser seriously, that kind of story, I just want to encourage you, is not exactly accurate to how, what kind of voice you could have. He was correct in examining, you know, like the width of the chest, you know, how, how large your throat is, how wide it is, what about your head? There is, there is going to be individual attributes that are better suited to um, speaking, but it's not the only factor. And to think that is like the base requirement of how large your chest is, or like, oh, my neck's not wide enough, I shouldn't speak. That's, that's false. Um, I would say, yeah, that's false. I think your, everybody's voice is going to be unique, but can, can be improved, and can be improved to the point, unless you have some sort of disease or impediment given by God to you, you can arrive by God's grace to a point where you could at least be heard by a decent crowd. Hmm. So it is a, like a requirement that, Oh, well, my chest is not wide enough. I'm not going to be heard by a hundred people. That's not true. You can definitely work it to a point where you could be. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's very helpful. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, but I do at this point want to transition us a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about preaching without amplification and, uh, crowds and men that have preached to crowds with uh, large numbers without amplification. But 
let's transition to talking with amplification now. So uh, what are your thoughts concerning the amplification of the voice with a microphone? Ooh, so <laughs> I think it's great, honestly. I think God has really given us a great gift in technology and microphones because what have they been able to do for the gospel for the word and for listeners i mean i was just hearing yes yesterday a family had us over for hospitality and one of the families there was talking about how they were um saved partly because they heard alistair beg on the radio microphones and the technology i would definitely not say in and of themselves are not like bad or anything like that. They are great tools that God has given us to do things like this and to make plenty of recordings, instructional videos. You, the list goes on. I mean, you guys would know probably more about that. I mean, what are, what are other practical ways we've been able to use uh, microphones, Austin? Video recording. I, mean, I know other... Yeah, I think you hit a lot of them. Podcasts, YouTube channels, CBTS lectures, uh, things like that. Uh, theological talks that we otherwise wouldn't be able to to have. Yeah, exactly. There's lots of uses, really good uses. Uh, when considering microphones, though, I would have a few pointers, though, for anybody that's speaking using them. The position of the microphone I mean, you know this, Austin, I guess, with working so much with this, it's really important. No one wants you to hear, no one wants to hear you swallow your microphone. It sounds, it sounds awful. Um, and no one wants to have it too far forward if you can't quite project enough. Because then otherwise, maybe the recording is going to be super weak or no one's going to be able to hear you on the speakers. So the position of your microphone is going to be really important. Having it like a foot away, if you have a decently large voice or like a, like a half foot away, is generally like a pretty good um, distance to have the microphone if it's a handheld. If it's a lapel, have it further up on your shirt. Don't, don't have it too far down because then as you're speaking out, especially if you lift your head, turn it to the side, it's really going to cut out if you don't have it close enough. Hmm. Now, depending, I would, yeah, I would say to that, depending on how large or small your voice is, adjust accordingly. You're going to know best where you should do it. And you won't know that unless you take the time, you know, maybe the day before your sermon or something, like test the equipment or, you know, a couple hours before, if you're already at the church building, test the equipment to see, okay, where am I best going to be heard? Now, the quality of the microphones varies quite dramatically, so be aware of that too. If you get a microphone, say you're going out to a church that needs uh, the pulpit filled, and they have a microphone, but it's probably worth $10. Unless they're recording or they need it for nursery workers or someone in the back, you could even just get rid of the microphone. Because it had so some of those really cheap microphones has such a tinny quality to it, it just sounds bad. Hmm. Not that you sound bad, just the microphone itself, whenever it goes through the speakers, just sounds absolutely awful. Transitioning from that point, though, 
if you find yourself in a situation where, yeah, get rid of the microphone or this system isn't that great, what are you going to do? If you're in the middle of Sunday school or in your sermon and the microphone cuts out or you decide to get rid of the microphone altogether, are you going to stop speaking? No. Too bad the microphone's gone. (laughs) Turns over, I guess. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) who would do that? Um, I mean, certainly, you know, maybe the pressure would be on a little bit and you'd be like, oh, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So just speak up. Um, what's more important there is not necessarily the audio being captured or the fact that this makes it easier. It's the word of God. That's the most important thing going on right then and right there. It's not whether or not, oh, I, maybe I don't feel like people will be able to hear me. Well, make an effort. You're, you're there worshiping the Lord. Mm. Anybody that works with technology knows that sometimes that equipment just bugs out for no apparent reason. You're not going to call off the worship of God just because you the microphone is giving a little bit of a uh, it's just not working right. Hmm. I mean, no, it's very well said, Jonathan. I, uh, you know, I actually thought about this earlier as as we were talking about. Um, using our voices well and effectively. I think back to our conversation that we had with Joel Beakey about uh, experimental or experiential preaching and, and Steve Lawson talking about preaching with, with unction, with passion, um, with energy. And I love how that's clearly a conviction that you have when we speak to um, how we can use our voice effectively, how we can also uh, preach without a microphone. I, I do want to apologize to our listeners because now that uh, Jonathan's given us some counsel on how to use the mic. I have a louder voice, or at least so I'm told. So I've never been coached on microphone angle and distance between microphone and mouth. So if I've really been loud on previous recordings, please forgive me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'll be able to make some adjustments now after uh, having having this episode today. So Jonathan, uh, our listeners, thank you uh, in <laughs> advance for for how uh, how how effectively I'll be able to use my voice, hopefully uh, not too loud for for those who take the time to listen to these episodes. But um, you know something else that I've at least heard again, not an expert on 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 the uh, effectiveness or efficiency of of voice amplification, but posture is another uh, element that often gets brought up when we speak to being heard, when we speak to um, being able to articulate ourselves well. Uh, when we're, either when we're delivering a sermon or just a public speaking engagement in general, what do you have uh, to offer our audience with regarding posture and how posture can impact our voice, whether positively or negatively? Yes, uh, the posture that you take affects everything. Sitting, standing, when you're using your voice, like for instance, you could potentially hear this on the recording. If I really lean over, I mean, I'm getting closer to the phone, but let me get back a little bit. If I really lean over, you can kind of hear how it quiets down a little bit. But as soon as I take myself back up to a more noble, noble position, the voice becomes so much clearer. So the posture does affect everything. And going back to the microphone a little bit, depending on how you hold the microphone, how the 
the sound comes out of the, the speakers will also still be affected. Sure, they'll hear you, but even the qualities of your voice, how you use the microphone, if you're leaning over, if you're looking down, if you're looking to the side, it's going to affect it whether you realize it or not, even through the recordings and speakers. Uh, so the posture affects everything to do with your voice uh, in your voice. So to be a little bit practical about that, whenever you're getting up to preach, both feet should be on should be on the floor. Hopefully, I mean, not trying to hold on to the <laughs> hold, hold on to the podium or anything like that. Both feet on the floor, pretty close to shoulder length apart. The shoulders should not be hunched, caved, or too far back. They should just be held loosely. And you should be in a position, if this makes sense, of action or ready to act. If you're too relaxed or too loose, your voice is going to kind of reflect that. But as soon as you arrive to a better posture, immediately the voice becomes a lot more flexible. You're not so rigid in your body and you're ready to do anything at a moment's notice. If your posture is poor while speaking, it'll reflect in your voice. If you're buckling your legs or your knees, or you're like trying to flex on stage for whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> hopefully you're not doing that. Um, it's going to show up in your voice. I mean, as soon as I do that, you can hear suddenly there's a little bit of a strain. Like, okay, now eh, eh, it's catching. It's not free. So the posture and the posture you take is going to affect everything. So when you're on stage, both feet on the floor in an upright position, not chest out or anything like that, just hanging loosely and freely, ready to bounce into any position that you can think of. Be alert, be attentive, but do not be too relaxed or too tense. Mm. These have been really helpful and practical tips that you've been giving us to help improve our voices. Um, but in your estimation, what is necessary to know about sound to have a pleasant voice? We're all born with the voice that God has given us. I cannot get on here and claim that all voices are going to sound as equally as pleasant, robust, calming, um, emotional, emotionally driven as others. Everybody's going to have their own strengths and weaknesses in their voice and spots you know, where, yeah, your voice doesn't sound super great right there. I mean, for instance, in singing, there's different voice classifications. I happen to be on the higher end of male voices. So I'm not going to be speaking all the way down here, blah, blah, blah. That's not my voice. Everyone has their own unique voice, and you should be comfortable and content with it. Be comfortable and content with the voice that God has given you because there's a lot that can be improved upon. And our voices, the way that God has made them, are beautiful. It is very pleasing to the ear to hear a human voice. So find out what God has given you 
in, in this day and age, just harping on the microphones a little bit, microphones give us a way out, really easy way out to just bypass any struggle related to amplification. So it's almost an, it's really an impediment to our vocal development to just constantly rely solely on a microphone. So discover what God has given you. Now, I definitely recommend wherever you are to find someone that maybe knows a little bit more than you do about the voice and work with them to see what kind of works, what doesn't to aim towards not a distortion of your voice, but a true nature a true improved nature of your voice, building on the same foundation of what you already have, not trying to make it into something weird. So other than that, some, thing, some practical things to know about sound, to have a good, uh, pleasant sounding voice. Going back to what we talked about in posture, whenever I said there's good and bad, it's the same here. There's good tension and there's bad tension. And in this instance, what I mean by tension is muscular engagement. So when the voice is working properly, good tension in this case means that the breath is sufficient. The muscles in your voice are engaged and your sound is not distorted. Uh, and ways in which you can distort that is like a very pressed voice where I'm like, <laughs> or like sounding something like Smeagol or something like that. We wouldn't say his voice is very pleasing, as entertaining as it is. You also, on the other hand, want to avoid a very pressy voice where the air is just too much air going on. You should also avoid nasality. You, you just hear people talking in their nose. It doesn't, unless, you, unless you're French, but even the French don't just be nasal all the time. You should also, so you should generally avoid that. But you should also avoid like an overly swallowed sound. Like you're trying to make your voice bigger or, or something. I don't know. Maybe you have like a, some sort of deep sounding complex where, oh yeah, this is, this is just my voice. What, what are you talking about? I'm not making this up. So you should avoid, avoid those things. Now, on top of that, we know about the good tension, the good muscular engagement, the breath is ready, everything's in, in engaged, but not tense, not a rigid mode, but you should be relaxed. You should be varied in tone, volume, and texture. A really engaging voice is going to have all of those. And it's also gonna be resonant. Like you can hear almost around you, even if you're not talking to them, it's almost like you can still hear them in the back. Like you're, you're all just having your conversations, but you can still hear that one person still talking, even if you're, you're not engaging them. They're gonna have really resonant sounds. And by resonance, I mean like the sound bounces off the walls. You can hear them from the back of the stage. They're very resonant the sound travels. Also remember that the tempo of your sentences will greatly assist you in delivering the meaning of what you're saying. I'm not gonna say, for instance, one of the 10 commandments, you shall not steal. 
well, that's, that's not a big deal. No, it's you shall not steal. Emphasis on the shall not. So how you deliver your sentences as well is going to greatly impact your listener because then they catch on to what's most important to you and to them, especially if it's related to something, you know, like a command that God has given. Um, I mean, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. You shall have no other gods before me. You can say that you shall have no other gods before me. So the way that you deliver it is going to change the meaning to your listener. And on, on, I'll finish off on that with avoid sameness. Sameness turns off the ears of your listeners. If you sound the exact same all the time, eventually all the words are going to blur together and then no one will really understand what you're saying. And then, oh, wait, what, what am I having for dinner or lunch? It all sounds the exact same. So they don't know what's really important, what's not important. Uh, they lose focus. They don't know what's going on. Maybe they tune out for five minutes and then boom, you're in your next five points. Jonathan, um, I want us to revisit what I believe was a really um, interesting rabbit trail. And uh, maybe we should call it the fable of Spurgeon. I like how Austin used that terminology. Uh, in fact, uh, Ed Romine, when he came on in a previous episode on Spurgeon and open air preaching, he, I think, was the one who, at least for me, that's where I recall hearing the story about Spurgeon measuring the the, the width of their chest of, of prospective preachers of God's word. But in any case, um, if Ed said it, it's probably true. Sorry to interrupt you, but well, no, yeah, I, I believe it was in his his dissertation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But in any case, if it's not true and it is fable fable of Spurgeon, you you heard it here first. Austin McCormick uh, gets the credit for that one. But uh, in any case, um, Jonathan, you are an expert, clearly at least compared to me and Austin, you are an expert on uh, how to improve your voice, how to use your voice effectively and so on and so forth. What are some practical steps though? Say we have listeners who have either been critiqued on how they speak, uh, whether in a sermon, uh, whether in a teaching session, whether just uh, sharing the gospel on the streets or wherever the case may be, maybe they've been critiqued that, that they could improve on how they use their voice, how they amplify their voice, um, and they want to improve, but they don't have any real practical steps to help them improve. Uh, what would you say are some of the key ways that somebody can improve their utilization of their voice that they naturally have, uh, as well as how they can maybe improve uh, amplifying their voice and, and any other key ingredients to being an effective speaker that you think can be improved? Uh, how would you go about instructing somebody along those lines? Oh, there, there are plenty of great exercises that anybody that can anybody can use to improve their voice. I definitely wouldn't say I'm an ex expert in all this. I, I still, I mean, I'm still studying myself, and I have a lot more to learn. Well, that's I'm why I wanted to throw the caveat in there. I wanted to throw compared to me and Austin, anyways. Like, or at least compared to me, like I'm, I'm down here, and then you're, you're like way up here on this subject. So I'm, I'm just, I'm learning with the rest of our listeners. I can promise you that. Uh, well, some things that you can take from exercise or fr from this are some exercises definitely to help you is because I did not, I did not start this way either. 
in a, in almost in a relation to singing, there is this fable or this myth that, oh, you're either born with it or you're not. Certainly people start maybe further ahead than others. Certainly there are other people that are going to have better sounding voices than you. There are created differences in that way. But to say that, oh, well, because you don't have this certain chest length, you'll never, no, no. That's where I'll stop you right there is no, cut out the never, is maybe you'll never sound as loud as that person because yes, they have more physical attributes that are beneficial towards this kind of sound, but it doesn't mean that you will never sound loud enough for a couple hundred listeners or something. I mean, that's after a lot of practice, but some exercises to start heading in that direction is breath. Your breath is the powerhouse, the engine, or, the, or the more like the gas line of your voice. If the breath is not behind your voice, it will falter. It will tire out. It will break down. The whole car is going to stop. That Ferrari you just bought, oh, it has a snipped fuel line. Well, now it's out of gas. It's not going to run. Who cares how cool the Ferrari looks if there's no gas to drive it? That is essentially the function of the, the breath in your voice. You may have the best uh, body, car, like car body for a voice. Maybe Charles Spurgeon has, you know, measures you up and goes like, ah, you're perfect for the ministry. But if you don't know how to use your voice effectively, it doesn't matter whether or not he says that. You're going to be much further behind than someone that maybe looks like a scrawny person, but knows how to use their breath. There's a, if you want to look it up on YouTube sometime, there is a, um, for lack of better words, just scientifically a midget that sings, but you can hear him in that whole hall because he knows how to use what he has. He's not going to be as loud as a lot of other people, but you could still hear him. There's like hundreds of listeners in there and you could hear him really clearly in that hall. Um, so breathing is one of the most important aspects. So how do you, how do you breathe your shoulders? Some people have, have this, so your shoulders should not lift or dramatically when you breathe. You're basically filling the top of the tank and not the rest of it down here. So breathing low is really key to getting enough air and for your voice to function properly. If you know you notice that your breath isn't really that low, you you don't know what it feels like and everything. A really simple exercise is lay down on the floor, take a book put it on your stomach. And when you breathe, try to lift that book with your stomach. There is a muscle in there that you're trying to aim for called the, the diaphragm. It's a passive muscle, which means you can't like force it. It's not like your bicep where you can just act on it. Um, but the diaphragm needs to be engaged. So put the, put the book like just below your sternum Lay on the floor, focus on lifting the book with, with your breath and see, see what kind of problems you have. Do your shoulders keep lifting up or is your chest expanding way too much? 
and nothing's going on down there, then you can kind of kind of see like, oh, I've I've got this going on. I'm not really breathing into the full extent of my lungs. I'm not filling all the space. I'm barely breathing. And for an asthmatic like myself, getting that down was super beneficial for physical activity. So breathing low and filling up the entirety of the lungs with air is super important. For amplification, now that we now that we know a little bit more about the breath, we have to basically find a way to filter it. Like I said in the example with the jug, where if you blow the air but there's no jug, it doesn't it won't do anything. You may hear a buzzing sound. So we got air, now we need the jug. What does our jug look like? To have better amplification, a more resonant speaking voice. If you think about um, a cave, when you speak in a cave, it's really loud, right? There's a lot of space to bounce sound off of. Inside our head, there's also space. So one of the things you can do to help start to train in more amplification is to yawn. Oh, we don't speak like this, so don't speak like you're yawning. But when you yawn, you create a lot of space. And so that better informs how, how you do things. You can have a lot more reach. You get, your sound goes more out because you have enough space for sound to bounce around and to go forward out to the listener. So yawning is a really good trick to start to explore like what kind of internal space you can have. And then after you're done yawning, try to um, remember that space that you create and use that. Like say ha, for instance, like, oh, okay. Ha, ha. You find that space and do H-A, ha. Remember that space and see like how much you can, how big you can make it. Now don't go too far off the deep end. Your voice is only so naturally loud. So don't think that, oh, by doing this, I can be infinitely louder than Charles Spurgeon. There are limitations to your voice. <laughs> um, lip trills are also great. This is kind of related to the breath, but at any pitch, when we're talking about uh, music, you know, there's different pitches, high and low, is lip trills give you a good idea. Since I'm speaking right here, this is a pitch. There is a frequency going on here that determines pitch, and I'm speaking that frequency. Well, how much air do I need for that? Well, let's test it. Okay, I need about that much air. If you can't buzz your lips like that, that means you're not supplying the air that you need at that pitch level. So then you need to figure out, work with your body to try to be able to buzz your lips like that. It shouldn't be like too forced, like, or too loose, like, because then you're not going to get the pitch level, but you should figure out how to buzz your lips in such a way that you get like anywhere that you can go up and down, like pitches, you should be able to do that if your breath is there. Um, last one I think, or last two, I think I'll say is just really quickly, 
uh, doggy pants. That sounds weird. Um, dogs are not wearing pants. <laughs> but, um, doggy pants are a great one. This is a little bit harder to do, but it also keeps your breath in check if you're doing things properly or if you're breathing in and out properly is you, you, basically, you basically just do this. If you can't hear that over the microphone, I'm sounding like a dog taking in air in, putting the air out taking air in, putting air out. And you should, you should try. It's way harder than it sounds, especially at first. This will train your breath to use your air a lot more effectively. So it's not, it's not enough just to know that, oh, I got to breathe low, but you also have to use your air effectively as well. And then finally, a vowel. Vowels are really important with amplification and resonance to make the sound bounce further, to make it go further, is there are better vowels and better configurations of internal space and the way you form a vowel than others. If I sound too country, it might have a really tinny sound, but it's not gonna go too far. But if I say all my vowels right here, it sounds loud at first, but it's not gonna travel very far. But if they're more rounded, then you're going to get a lot more of, you know, almost a ping, like a laser. The vowel is going to travel further. So that I definitely recommend if someone, uh, if there's someone in your area that knows a lot more than you or someone, you know, if you ever decide to take singing lessons at all that you, that you know of that knows more of a classical approach, definitely hit them up, talk to them. It's like, hey, this random guy on a podcast say that not all vowels are created equal or whatever. That takes a little bit more training to find what's more natural in your voice. But the way that you form your vowel, you can't go like, ah, or oh, you have to find the in-between. That I'm not going to talk a whole lot more about that because it's really a case-by-case -case basis in that instance for best effect in whoever's speaking. Mm. Brother Jonathan, I really enjoyed this conversation and especially uh, your commitment to give us all the different sound ranges with the different exercises and uh, the yeah different impress impersonations you've given us to uh, illustrate different types of voices and sounds and pitches and tones so thank you for your uh, level of commitment for this conversation yeah. and uh, I also want to say that I've also uh, benefited by singing congregationally next to you in the public worship of God. I appreciate you singing out and encourage, encouraging others to uh, do so. And thank you for edifying me with your singing next to me. And not only in the public worship in the times we've got to worship together, but in private worship too, with um, some generous family members uh, of the church that have hosted us to be able to sing praises during family worship together. So I really appreciate you and your uh, time that you've taken to come on our show and to talk about this important subject. But uh, we'll give you the last word, brother. Do you have any final encouragements or final thoughts pertaining to anything we've been discussing in our conversation? Yeah, of course. As an exhortation first, if you are entering into the ministry, you will spend your sermons or wherever you are, speaking on the street, in private, wherever, where, whatever. You're going to do it with your voice. As I mentioned earlier, or 
taking from Albert Martin relative to the act of preaching, sharing the gospel, the voice is of primary importance. The message is, is up here, but related to how you deliver it, it's pretty high up there in levels of importance, how you deliver the message. So grow it, use your voice, and learn about it. You will help your congregation or your hearer a great deal by not just improving the content of your sermons, which is the most important thing, but also by the way that you deliver it. And finally, as an encouragement, voices are uniquely large and small according to the will of God. You do not have to be the loudest or the most robust speaker in church history. God has given each man and woman a unique voice that can be cultivated. Each voice can be improved, whether by its tone, volume, resonance. And everyone, I believe, has been born with a treasure in their voice that's ready to be discovered, unearthed, and even polished. It's a voice that can be made effective in declaring the whole counsel of God. Wow, that was an incredible way to draw this episode to a conclusion, Jonathan. I really appreciate your heart for this subject and uh, just for all of the important issues that you raised over the course of our conversation today. Personally, brother, I wish you nothing but the best in your continued studies at CBTS as well as uh, in any future ministry endeavors that our Lord calls you into, brother. Thank you very much, and I hope for, for you and for your endeavors also, Austin, both the same. Thank you, brother. And to our listeners, we do want to thank you again for joining us today on the Covenant Podcast and for all you do to support our show. Until next time, we wish you grace and peace. God bless.